Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Keith Johnston. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by senior analysts David Muter and Jonathan Roberts to discuss autism-friendly hiring practices. Welcome both. Thanks. It's good to be here. Thank you. Glad to be back. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. We're going to get to the broader topic of just inclusivity overall. But I want to hone in on this idea of employees with autism. Why are we talking about this subject now? Well, I think the first thing is, let's level set what is autism for those who aren't familiar. The American Psychological Association defines it as difficulties with social interactions plus restricted and repetitive patterns and behaviors or interests. Also, sensitivity to sensory input like light and smells is a, a common trait. And so uh, when you're talking about autism in the workplace, sometimes it's, it's a discussion on traits with autism that can be strengths in the right environment, like that restricted interest I mentioned, maybe in a topic that leads to extreme depth of knowledge. And maybe that depth of knowledge is what you're hiring for. And other times the discussion is more about reasonable accommodations, like ensuring an employee is placed where there isn't sensory distractions or managers becoming more effective communicators to bridge those communication gaps. So that is, is kind of level setting. What is the background here? And what we see is that autistic people are uh, disproportionately unemployed, although they, they disproportionately enter STEM fields in, in terms of their, their training, their education. And like you said, we, we're in an employment constrained uh, or maybe entering an employment constrained recession. I know IT labor shortages have been a trend for many years now. Uh, so that's what brought this to my mind. Um, uh, Jonathan, if you have anything more you want to add to that? Yeah. You know, you, you guys invited the future of work analysts to this conversation. So I'm going to talk probably about some of the trends um, and, and set some of the context here uh, about why this conversation should be happening now, right? So so there are some forces that are converging um, in, the, in the talent space that, that create um, almost the perfect storm uh, in terms of of, of, of of this topic and how we solve some of those challenges, right? So we have first this talent crisis. You know, some people are, you know, calling it a the shortage uh, for for high skilled labor, especially in, in the tech fields. And then we also at the same time have this graduating from diversity, equity, inclusion theater, right? to the actual understanding, practice, and integration of inclusion and equity work for organizations, right? So organizations are asking outside of your, you know, your MLK events and your, you know, you know, and all the different um, kinds of ways we were approaching diversity before, how do we really integrate inclusion into our workspaces, right? And then on top of that, we have this um, expanding, uh, expanded understanding of, of belonging as an employee metric. So all of those things are happening right now kind of set the stage perfectly for this particular conversation and gives ways to what this conversation can lead to uh, for organizations in the space of inclusion and inequity. So that's a, an amazing kind of backdrop to why we're having this conversation right now. I'd love to get into some of the specifics of you know how to be friendly to either prospective employees with autism or or current employees so can we maybe talk about is there 
a specific um, guidance or advice that you're giving leaders who are interested in autism-friendly hiring right now? Yeah, in our, uh, our report, we outline three key steps. They focus around, uh, one, creating a pilot plan to attract and retain autistic talent. Secondly, adjusting your interview process with more structure, less ambiguity. And then number three is fostering a supportive and structured work environment. And we have a variety of things that we explored in those, but just to drill down into one of those, uh, one example is that autistic job candidates are more likely than the general population not to respond to a job posting if they don't check every box described there. Uh, and so to be broad, that's also true of many non-autistic people as well, but again, disproportionately affects this population. And so you want to be very clear in job postings, what is truly required, what's optional, and what doesn't even need to be in there to begin with. Uh, a company called Ultranauts we interviewed is a great example of this. They don't list education and years experience and as, as a requirement in the job postings. They found the, the validity of these in predicting job performance is significantly lower than the structured interview process and work sample tests they employ. And uh, as a result, they've had tremendous growth, but 40% of their employees don't have a college degree. And out of curiosity, I, I looked up their job postings and I compared how they describe it to similar job postings for similar jobs at other companies. I actually had a clear understanding of what kind of person would be qualified for an alternate's job than other companies, despite those two omissions. And so to, just to be clear, like you can still value education, you can value years of experience as part of the decision-making process. The point is don't require them as a candidate filter. Uh, and again, while this may disproportionately affect autistic job seekers, it can also affect other people as well. So this point is not merely pro-autism, it is a pro-human point. And fixes like this all around improve your ability to find the talent that you need. David, I was fortunate to be exposed to um uh, a great little agency, Autonomy Works, that uh, has an autistic uh, workforce and focus on data management and ad operations and things like that. What are the specific skills that this uh, that autistic uh, people have that you know are really valuable to the workforce right now? So, and, and in terms of skills, that's hard to generalize because everyone's a unique individual, um, but. Um, we do see, oh, for example, like I said earlier, a, a narrow interest in a topic may make you have a very uh, much more depth of knowledge in that topic, whereas your coworkers may have more breadth. And I think the key point here is thinking of cognitive differences in your team staffing. They're going to bring different perspectives in how you approach a problem. Someone with a large depth but very narrow amount of knowledge brings one thing. Someone with a shallow but broad knowledge brings a very different perspective. And having that mix on a team can produce new, new innovations, new uh, ideas that you wouldn't have with a more cognitively homogenous team. Another thing I could add here is through writing these, these two reports um, that, that will soon be published, we had the, the honor, honestly, of, of interviewing some fantastic people um, folks through a couple of different organizations who have been through or are going through some of these uh, autism kind of friendly hiring programs for organizations. And aside from the fact that they were lovely people, um, they were highly passionate, deeply, deeply engaged, 
um, and committed to the success of their teams and their organizations, almost in a way that we haven't seen a whole lot lately, considering everything going on in our global workforce. Um, if you're looking for where the employees of passion are, if you're looking for the employees that are still highly committed to to finding uh, paths to solutions, it's these folks. And again, yes, I, I know that's kind of anecdotal, right? Our, our sample size was small. Well, we interviewed dozens of, of folks and, and a common thread is really uh, about how committed um, these 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 folks were to to the work, so so I can definitely I can definitely say that. Jonathan, we've talked about uh, having inclusive hiring practices um, in a lot of our research. You know, uh, we've we've noted and we've we've seen that there's huge benefits, uh, you know, in in having great practices and you know expanding how we perceive uh, our talent and the you know, the kind of people we want to bring in our organization. What are some of the examples of inclusive hiring practices, whether that be autistic talent or, or other, uh, that companies are really getting to the big benefits of this approach? That question is a great question. Um, David mentioned earlier um, that, you know, autistic people really um, thrive with more structure and less ambiguity, right, in the hiring process. So they like to know, you know, how many stages and, you know, maybe some of the questions prompted, things like that. And I'm thinking to myself as we were having these interviews, I'd like that too, right? I, I, you know, that's something that would benefit, I think, everyone who doesn't love less ambiguity in such a kind of a stressful scenario like interviewing for a new job, right? So if these are barriers for just people and we remove those barriers, we'll get, we'll see more and different kinds of people um, kind of getting to the finish line. Here's another example, right? Because um, even this and this falls outside of of people with autism, but when we look at self-promotion, if your interview relies so heavily on self-promotion and the ability for someone to talk about themselves, well, you know, culturally, there are a lot of places in this world where that's considered really rude and boastful. And we actually, you know, frown on those kinds of things. So if your goal is to get the best possible talent for a specific role, but you put in a barrier like leaning too heavily on self-promotion, that's going to be a problem for more than just people with autism. It's going to be a problem for a lot of different cultures or genders um, or those kinds of scenarios, right? So inclusive hiring is really about understanding all different kinds of people um, and people with potential for the role and removing those barriers to to the finish line. Yeah, I really like what, what you said there, Jonathan. I, I th think the way I, I, I like to frame, at least in my mind, is that when you see something that doesn't work for a particular group of people, in this case, we're talking about uh, autism, uh, odds are that problem affects many others as well. Maybe it disproportionately affects this group, uh, but you don't want to get hung up on we're only solving for this one group. You really are solving for humanity as a whole, and this one group does help bring attention uh, that uh, bring to light the problem that you may have been overlooking. I like that because we can get overwhelmed with, um, I don't know, being inclusive for all. And then sometimes you're so inclusive for everybody that you're no, not inclusive for anyone. Right. And so, um, you know, focusing on the, you know, autistic talent is just, it's, it's kind of the door into more inclusive pro uh, practices, right? Jonathan? 
That's exactly right. And that's what we found over and over again. These organizations we interviewed would start in a specific kind of autism-friendly hiring program or initiative, um, and then people outside the program would be observing and say, hey, we, we want to try that, or we want to talk a little bit more, more about how that can maybe impact what we're doing over here. And, and we started to see that seep into other uh, parts of the organization as best practice, and that's exactly right. Yeah, and also roles as well. They would start with one role, maybe oftentimes a technical role, and we see success here. And then organizations expand to other roles. And like one example to give, like I think Jonathan was alluding to, was um, like one company had a program to help autistic hirees adjust to office life, which is foreign. And and if if you're someone who doesn't like, or if you're someone who really likes sameness, and now you're in this very different environment, that that can be especially stressful for you. And they had great success, but then they also started to realize, you know who else has um, some difficulties adjusting to the office? Military veterans who go from that command and control culture of the military, which is necessary for the military, to an influence culture in the office, also have a very difficult time adapting to office life. And so they, I don't think as a one for one, just take this thing for autism and make it, just copy paste it for veterans, but just some some tweaks of that. They were able to then also provide better support for for veterans entering the, the, the private sector workforce. This is great. Guys, what are a couple of examples of companies out there, whether that's autistic talent or, or other that are just doing a great job? And, you know, what do you think, is kind of the hallmark of their success. Well, um, so one example is is Microsoft. Uh, many applicants hired through Microsoft's autism inclusive process had previously applied multiple times for the exact same role and didn't make it past the phone screen. And, and as Jonathan noted, these candidates didn't sell themselves as much as other candidates. And, and this is something Microsoft feels hurt them in the old older process, why they didn't make it through those those phone screens. Um, at SAP, they had a uh, finance administrator who was hired through an autism-inclusive program. This fellow automated invoice creation to make his job more efficient. And this innovation was so valuable, SAP's finance department incorporated his innovation across the entire global enterprise and awarded him their most prestigious internal award for innovation. Um, and we've seen others cite improved communication for the managers as, as, as a benefit, improved leadership skills. Um, and, and this is an overall improvement. It's not just, hey, they're better at communicating and, and leading autistic employees. They become better communicators and better leaders overall. So there are halo effects that benefit the whole organization. And I, and I, I want to stress here, I mentioned these you know, big tech firms. Your reaction, our listeners might be like, well, we're not an SAP. We're not a Microsoft. We're not as big as them. This works for organizations of all sizes. I mentioned Ultranauts earlier. That's a small tech consulting firm. The Jewish Federation of Cleveland has a program or has had a program like this for summer internships. That's a small nonprofit serving Northeast Ohio. So any organization can do this, though how you do it, how you approach it may depend on your size and type of organization. Obviously, how SAP executes the programs going to be very different than the Jewish Federation of Cleveland. Uh, we've also seen non-technical organizations um, like like Ford Automaker, right? You, know, you don't have to be a tech firm to, to do something like this. Yeah, I can also add, um, you know, looking back through, through some of these notes for, for, for the research, um, AMC, right, the largest theater chain, has a, a program called the Focus Program. 
um, furthering opportunities and cultivating untapped strength is, is, is what FOCUS stands for. And they provide uh, employees with autism um, opportunities for competitive employment, wages, benefits side by side with other associates and, and also Home Depot, right? Uh, Home Depot, and they partner with an organization called Ken's Crew, um, but they have uh, uh, placed almost o- over a thousand employees in the Home Depot network uh, with autism uh, to, to roles, right? And they man- and they, spe- um, they specialize in job training skills, coaching and mentorships, um, and also job matching, right? So inside tech, outside tech, all um, levels of, of size for organizations. This is this is this is happening. Are there any sort of common missteps that you have observed, or just even in your conversations with with leaders who have gotten it right? You know, maybe their second or third time, their third go around, um, as it relates to standing up hiring programs, or even reaching further into like what what the work environment is once you know someone lands at that company is there you know any lessons learned that you could share too uh yeah one lesson learned is talk to organizations that have implemented something like this and learn from them there are also third-party consultants that can help you build an approach and so one feedback that i've heard is uh maybe a fine way to start using a consultant but um, oftentimes they get the feedback is that they may overbuild what you need. So if you go down that route, the, what, what the, the feedback we hear is aim to transfer the competency in-house and shrink it down to something that works for your organization's unique needs. Um, another issue that came up was don't overlook the work environment. Uh, there's, there's one company they really focused on the, the, the recruitment and interview process and didn't think enough about the work environment, at least in their first pass. And, uh, and that was at the cost some issues, which they then address in, in later incarnations. And this reminds me, I've been reading about um, uh, DNI, kind of the history of DNI and theory behind it. And, and something I read was in the 1980s and 90s, companies were actively seeking to recruit women and racial minorities on the heels of civil rights, but didn't think about the work environment. And a trend that I've read back then was successful recruitment paired with retention sieve due to new recruits landing in a poor work environment. Um, so that's why our three steps, it, it goes from recruitment all the way to work environment. It's so funny you speak about that like it's so long ago. A lot of organizations are still trying to figure out um, that environment piece and not just the diversity pipeline piece. Um, but yes, that's exactly right. And, and another thing I'll add is <clears throat> organizations um, that are doing this well have also mastered a really um, comprehensive and deep listening muscle, right? Here, it's one of those things where we, we don't know what we don't know. And when we build out a program like this, there are going to be things that come up that we didn't anticipate or didn't think about. And so there should always be a mechanism for listening, um, for different kinds of listening as well, right? Maybe uh, different kinds of employees don't respond well to surveys or one-on-ones or panels, right? So you, it, the, the idea is to employ different types of listening so that you can really get good feedback and then act on that feedback and make the kinds of modifications that are, that are being requested. So be ready to iterate when you, when you, when you, when you implement a program or project like this. Jonathan, I loved the phrase you used earlier 
um, just uh, I think you said harnessing untapped strength. It's that's so good. Um, I feel like the the last couple of years, our eyes have been opened up to these subjects. Uh, you know, DE and I inclusivity. Uh, we were focusing on autism today. Five years from now, where are we with all these practices? Now you're talking my language, Keith. So five, and that's a that's a hopeful number, but let's say five years from now, 10 years from now, and when we get this right, this is no longer a conversation that we have to have. This is no longer a podcast episode, um, right? Because the idea here is to do this so well, it just becomes part of who we are as an organization. It's just how we do business, right? Um, and and I, if I could break that down into three steps, right? How we get from this being a podcast episode to us talking about something else, right? Step one, um, understanding and elevating different kinds of workers. Historically, we've kind of cleared the path to success for a specific kind of employee or a smaller group um, uh, of employees. So the idea here is to understand who else is here at the table and what other uh, folks need to be successful, whether you're talking about uh, people with autism, whether you're talking about people um, with more kind of general uh, neurodiversity um, um, kind of conditions or context or women or young people or older people. I mean, right, so you just you expand the table. Step two, and we talked a little bit about this before, is, is listening, finding out what barriers exist for different kinds of people and what would it really allow people to thrive because the whole idea here is you want a workforce that's not just there, that's not just hanging on, um, that's not just doing the tasks that are in front of them, but they're thriving. They're leaning into change. They're 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 tilting their head to the side and 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 looking at ch- challenges and and markets and problems different ways. That's that's the goal here. And then step three is to kind of work these conditions. And these modifications and these um, uh, kind of different aspects of working into the culture, right? And then Angelina Genis is our, our culture analyst, and, and I've had a lot of conversations with her about none of this is real until you actually bake this into the who we are and how we do things organizationally. Um, and that will eliminate the newsworthiness of what we're trying to do here. David, you obviously had a great passion for this research. Um, you have two reports coming out. You know, what are what are the couple of takeaways you want our clients to to take from this research? Yeah, the one one takeaway is I think awareness. Um, there are probably many employers who never thought about this particular issue, and it's uh, a great way to address labor issues and, and workplace issues that you may be confronted with. Uh, which leads into number two that I think Jonathan and I have been very much promoting is that this is beyond just autism. This, this is it's a starting point. I think of it as a, a stepping stone or a foundation stone for broader universal human design. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Best part of my day. Yes, thank you. It's been a wonderful time talking with you. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. 
To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or drop us a note at podcast at Thanks for listening.